Welcome to Backlog Books. My name is Kara. My pronouns are she, her. This is the podcast where I spend a little time talking about what I have been reading lately. Whether you are a 59 books a year reader or a one book a year reader, welcome. I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Please be advised that there will be spoilers for the books ahead. In this episode, I will be talking about a trilogy rather than just one book. I read these books over six months ago, so my memory of them is a little hazy, and I'm like 99% sure that you've never heard of this trilogy, so rather than clutter the feed with three episodes, I wanted to tackle the broad strokes of the series in one. You may also be wondering why I am talking about a series that I read over six months ago instead of something more recent. Uh, One reason is that I have not stopped thinking about these books since I read them. And second, it's my podcast, so I get to do what I want. Let's get started. Today, I will be talking about the Twilight's Kingdoms trilogy by Nancy Asire. The first book is Twilight's Kingdoms, followed by Tears of Time and finished with To Fall Like Stars. Here's the summary for the first book. For centuries, two nearly immortal races, the Crotania, followers of light, and the Leshorania, servants of darkness, have been at war. Both races use mental powers in addition to the sword and bow, but because of their moral scruples, the Crotania use their powers only to defend, not to attack. They have suffered defeat after defeat and been driven deep into their ancestral lands. Now the Leshorania prepare a final blow under the leadership of the dread warlord Sinkadavik, most skilled of all in the powers of dark. Against him stand the brothers Kassir, Alaric, and Haskin, and their father and grandfather, last living leaders of the Crotania. The Light's only hope is the appearance of the rumored savior Hishrael. But will he arrive in time? I cannot tell you how much I wish this book had a pronunciation guide. The spelling of names in fantasy books is almost always an adventure, and in these books especially. So these books have lived on my shelf for several years. Uh, I finally started reading the first book in October of 2019, and I finished the third one in December of 2019. This trilogy was published between 1987 and 1996. Our author, Nancy Asire, was born in 1945, and as far as I can tell, she's still kicking. She hasn't published any other novels, but did publish a short story as recently as 2018. For simplicity's sake and to be kind to myself, I'll be referring to our opposing sides as dark side and light side. Now, before I really get into this, I want to say that I had a lot of fun reading these books. They have an interesting angle on a generic fantasy story, and I love a well-done generic fantasy story. The main story goes like this. The light side is fighting against the forces of darkness. They're losing, due to superior numbers on the dark side, not to mention the dark side has no morals to hold them back. They'll do whatever it takes to win. The light side faces a choice. Embrace dark side tactics or continue as they have been, trusting in their morals to get them through. Some extra spoilers for you here. They stick to their morals and make it through with a little help from the power of friendship. Our main light side man is Kassir, grandson of the king and a little bit of a rebel. 
The summary mentions Kassir's brothers and his father, but they play a much smaller role than Kassir does. Kassir is starting to wonder if maybe his people should be using their magic mind powers to attack rather than merely defend. Given that his people have been losing this war for 1,500 years, he might be on to something. Also, this is the second war that they've lost against the dark side. The last war ended with the light side fleeing across the ocean and escaping through a portal. That's how well it went. Our main bad guy is an underling named Singar. We follow his point of view alongside Kassir. Singar rises in power and status, but is always focused on killing the royal family and Kassir especially. Through him, we get a chance to see how different these sides are, how the dark side is driven by fear and a desire for power, and the light side is driven by the desire to protect each other and live in peace. We also have, mostly in the background, a big bad dark side guy and a big good light side guy. Our big bad evil guy is named Sinkadavik. He is a conduit for the forces of darkness. He wakes up, unleashes enough power to destroy a whole city or army, then goes back into hibernation. Our big good light side guy is prophesied to arrive any day now. His name is Hishrael, I guess. That's spelled H-J-S-H-R-A-I-E-L. So, Hishrael. There are some shenanigans regarding this guy and his prophecy. We don't know when he'll arrive or how we will identify him. All we know for sure is that he will be a lightsider who will be able to use his mind magic to attack without losing his soul to darkness. How much good one dude is going to do against the assembled forces of darkness is anyone's guess. Now, aside from the fact that I can't pronounce any of these names, I have two big problems with this series. My biggest problem is that almost nothing is foreshadowed. You find out about things as they are required by the plot. This is not the worst thing ever done in a book series but it does make it seem like the author is pulling plot devices out of thin air. For example, the light side has secret fortresses in the highlands, which are never hinted at until they are needed. This is especially frustrating because the characters spend a lot of time talking about how defending the capital city is their last hope, even though it's not. The deus ex machina that saves everyone at the end isn't mentioned until halfway through the final book. Deus Ex Machina is defined as when some new event, character, ability, or object solves a seemingly unsolvable problem in a sudden, unexpected way. And perhaps most baffling of all, the only actual foreshadowed event we have, the arrival of the Hishrael, this powerful light side being, doesn't even happen. I mean, okay, I did spend the whole time I was reading thinking it was going to be Kassir, so maybe I missed something? In my defense, Kassir is absolutely set up to be that guy. In one instance, he even uses his mind magic to attack, saving his sister's life. This is then hushed up by the characters, and we're given some hand-wavy reason why he was able to do that but the narrative continues to impress upon us that he is not the Hishrael, even though he did the thing that's supposed to identify the Hishrael. So that's confusing. 
My second big complaint is the very strange treatment of women, and especially the fact that these people don't train their women to fight. I'm sorry, but if you're down to the last one of your 12 kingdoms and the enemy has like a million more soldiers than you do, you should probably be using your entire populace to fight this battle. They let women organize cities and armies, which is important work, please don't get me wrong, especially for a country constantly at war. But women aren't allowed to train if they want to, and they're not even supposed to use their mind magic to help defend cities that are under attack. A big part of my problem with this, aside from the obvious, is that otherwise the light side people are excellent commanders and generals. They're smart and adaptable, they're constantly surprising the dark side with their tactics, but put a woman who wants to fight in front of them and they're suddenly unable to see any potential in the idea. There is no specific reason given for this. I know women being physically weaker is mentioned as a reason at least once, but that completely ignores the fact that there are archers and mages in this world, people who wouldn't be relying on physical strength to do battle. But aside from all of that, like I said, I had a lot of fun reading these. There are lots of epic battles, sure, but the light side's main defense has always been outsmarting their enemies. They sneak and scheme, and above all, they never lose hope. We do have a really lovely thread through the whole series about Kassir and his best friend, Lord Hayden. They have fought side by side for centuries. These characters are very long-lived. Each of them remembers when this war started 1,500 years ago. Lord Hayden is sworn to an oath to destroy the dark side. This means he throws himself into every battle with little concern for his own survival. He and Kassir have ups and downs through the series, but there's a strong bond between them. There are a lot of people in these books saying Kassir shouldn't trust Lord Hayden, but Kassir sticks by his friend, and that's ultimately what saves everyone. And these people, light side and dark side, are locked in a cosmic battle. People like Sinkadavik and Hishrael are born, they act as vessels for supreme cosmic power, and they fight it out. And whoever wins gets to become some kind of celestial being. Then the world is reborn and is nicely balanced, unless one side or the other has been winning more. This isn't mentioned until the third book. Even though it's a huge part of their culture, and it's the reason they're so determined to use their mental powers only for defense. Without this essential piece of information about their culture, the reader is left wondering exactly what's at stake, beyond the obvious fact that they don't want to die. That's reason enough to fight, to be clear, but the characters all act like there is a higher reason, and there is. We just don't hear about it until very late which means we're not very invested in it. By the time the third book rolls around, the light side is down to two options. They can flee across the ocean, which is what they did after the last war, or they can stay and hide in the highlands and buy time to rebuild and hope that the enemy falls apart in the meantime. They decide to stay. The light side throws everything they have into a battle, their goal is to distract the enemy long enough for their people to escape to the highlands. And they manage it at great cost. 
the king and his son die fighting against the big, bad, evil guy, and Kassir nearly dies as well. But they make it to the highlands and the secret fortresses there, and they are safe for over 150 years. Which is a really long time to stay hidden, by the way. They become nomadic, constantly on the move in the highlands, staying just out of the dark side's path. Eventually, though, they start to settle into cities and back into this war again. Their kids are grown up and itching to get back to fighting this cosmic war for survival. Very near the end. So close that I honestly thought there was going to be a fourth book. We hear about the Mind Jewel, our deus ex machina which is just an embodiment of the question the light side has been struggling with this whole time, whether to use their mind powers to attack or not. The jewel would give them the power to destroy every darksider on their continent. And it's in the hands of Lord Hayden, whose goal through this whole series has been exactly this, the destruction of his enemies. In this cosmic war, however, how they defeat their enemies matters. Using the mind jewel to kill whole armies would throw the balance of power to the dark side. Kassir, who is now king, must make a choice, and as he's done through this whole series, he chooses to trust Lord Hayden, and together they come up with a different plan, a way to win, or at least to hold out for a while longer. Instead of killing the armies facing them, Lord Hayden uses the power of the Mind Jewel to banish the Dark Side army away. In the end, the big bad evil guy is still around, though he's in hibernation. The prophesied good guy still hasn't turned up. But the Light Side, having won a major victory, even if they haven't won the whole war, are more determined than ever to keep fighting. Maybe the reason I feel so strongly about this series and why I haven't stopped thinking about it is that I love this kind of story. I love a good paladin. I love when people choose to stay together and follow their moral compass in the face of overwhelming odds. A prophesied hero, done right, gets me every time. And honestly, I like that our prophesied good guy doesn't make an appearance. It makes Kassir's and everyone else's decision to stick it out that much more powerful. But there are some things that are ridiculous and just never properly addressed in the text, so it feels incomplete or like the author didn't know what they were doing and pulled the deus ex machina at the end just to wrap it up. It is a well-executed deus ex machina, but it would have been so much better if there was even the slightest hint of it earlier than halfway through the last book. My final word on Twilight's Kingdoms. It is a decent fantasy series and an interesting world. Honestly, I'm keeping these books and I'm going to read them again in a few years. I feel like there is more to discover here. A second read-through is either going to convince me these books are not that great, or solidify them as a hidden treasure. I'm just going to have to wait and see. If you want more media like this, I suggest you pick up the Pelinor series of books by Alison Krogan, which is a well-done generic fantasy story and has much better female characters and foreshadowing. Start with the naming, not the Bone Queen. And that's a wrap! 
Join me next time to hear me talk about why dreams make for bad books. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, thoughts, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, for spending this time with me, and I hope to talk with you again soon.